3: This episode, 114, and I'll be talking to Katie Mitchell. But before I talk to Katie, great to find out her full name is—I will not tell everybody your full name. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, before I talk, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Head Check Health. Concussion Talk podcast is presented by Head Check Health. Head Check Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. to organizations like the Canadian Football League. Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on Headshake Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit headshakehealth.com for more. And I would also like to 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 thank Podpage, who would uh, help, help me, and, and uh, John Devereaux at Perfect Day here in St. John's, Newfoundland, so, uh, for helping me set up my new new website so please check out my new 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 website newly designed website at concussiontalk.com and of course follow me on social media at concussion talk um on patreon patreon.com concussion talk youtube is some crazy i don't know it's like G W Z fours, you know, who knows? It's some <laughs> crazy things. So. <laughs> yeah, so uh, follow me there. And subscribe, rate, and view a lot. But the new website should be good for guiding you wherever. So, conquestionshock.com. And now, after my big, long spiel, it has been forever since we've actually talked. It feels like we, we figured about like, last, like, 2020 probably yeah
2: it had to have been late 2020 or maybe early yeah. 2021 um it's kind of that whole yeah. i feel like the last year sort of just evaporated on me so yeah because you were way faster you, than i expected
3: you were you were in the midst you were on my last talk number you were uh just not in your phd because your phd was still as i'm going but you were like having to take a break from, it, from her because of a uh, because the shutdowns and all that stuff and all that fun stuff. So, if you want to just remind everybody what your PhD is and uh, just how it's going now, what all those shutdowns and stuff, and where you are, that if you you know as far as you can tell.
2: Yeah. So most of 2020 and even a little bit of 2021, um, obviously in Ontario, we had. Lockdowns and things were just not uh, totally open to the public yet. And so that was also including in person research. And most of my PhD involves in person assessments um, for our studies and projects. So that obviously um, had a bit of a a wrench thrown in it. And so, um, you know, there was probably about a year there where I was off. And then that allowed me to kind of build up uh, my business and my clinical practice, uh, which was a, a good time to develop those platforms and and the space and everything. And so I was really fortunate to have that to fill the gap. And so I wasn't just left kind of not being able to do anything. Um, So, of course, I get some free time and I end up starting, um, you know, a whole business. Um, So, um, but fortunately, we have been able to um, restart. And honestly, that time gave us some a nice like reflection period based on what we started kind of my last couple projects with, we sort of switched gears in 2019 um, from some of my previous projects and started uh, assessing more in the realm of optometry and vision science partnering with the University of Waterloo um, and with Dr. Christine Dalton joining my PhD committee. And so that was really um, sort of a turning point for me. And we started those projects late 2019 up until 2020 um assessing dynamic visual acuity uh in athletes and non-athletes and uh also factoring in things like concussion into that as well and we were kind of manipulating things like posture and um movement and looking at kind of dual tasking with that and so some of the earlier stuff we have presented um at like ACSM for example we did this conference is still ran virtually so we we're still able to share some of that um, and uh, so it was interesting to kind of get some of those, those projects sort of somewhat out in the world, although they weren't entirely finished, because we still had to finish the data, like the sample, the data collection, because right. it wasn't quite big enough right. yet. And so we were able to revisit that in 2021. Um, and I became, I basically was just inactive for the year of 2020, from March to December, and then returned inactive to her yeah, so it's just basically like kind of like withdrawing your status, and then you just come like a sabbatical, and then you come oh, back. Really? Um, I just, I only last like bit of my PhD was data collection and writing, and I can't really write until I have the data. So um, there wasn't much for me to do uh, in that time that I couldn't just do on the side, and so I, I wasn't um, actively in my doctorate at the time. So returning to that in 2021, um, it was obviously very busy because now I had this new business and then also yeah. this PhD. Um, which although both those things take up a lot of my time so it has been like I said it was a long but also really short year because it's just very busy um, building out a new practice and uh, an education platform and and such as well so we were able to kind of get those projects rolling and I think we closed the book on our first one and then we're finishing the last uh, project as well and so I think I'm about three quarters of the way done that sample. Um, so hopefully finishing that up, but also again, recent lockdowns kind yeah. of affected my ability to recruit athletes. So um, that that's also been another barrier as we've kind of had these rolling lockdowns, but seemingly towards the spring, we're we're not going to have those types of things happening anymore as much, like hopefully. So yeah. <laughs> um, we're able to still really like, you know, follow all the guidelines and um, sort of precautions and safely conduct our research. So that's been really helpful.
3: Yeah, so I have a whole bunch of questions. We just, we didn't really plan for much in this, for any question of this podcast or I didn't, and I don't think India did. And uh, just, but now I have these, first of all, I want to know about dual tracking because I got tweeted tweet about that, did But also dual testing, say. But uh, also um so generally what generally just what like your gear your page you're studying your because we first talked about you know concussion and vision and and also i uh i am now doing vision therapy at the local oh exciting a country and so and that's going well and i'm doing a using a lot of uh the brock string and mm-hmm. uh and which is I think it's a, that's the guy over Brock named that string put a rip off but he just <laughs> put a string put some beats on a string and said that's mine all right <laughs> anyway. yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah but um, anyway let's just have the point but more or less what are you, so what are you you doing towards about concussion and eye what's your your pc theme i guess don't see yeah
2: so essentially what you said there was like dual tasking is basically the ability to divide your attention amongst like dual V2 tasks. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas often, I think a lot of the time we see what people call dual tasking actually being more like a multitask where there's right, yeah. much more than just two things happening. Yeah. Um, but we're essentially looking at like more applicable ways to assess vision. Like So typically in a vision assessment would be conducted in seated. Um, but then you add standing, and that's now a dual task, because now you're just the act of standing itself is another task.
3: Um, yeah.
2: And there is some part of our attention that we actually do put into maintaining balance, depending on the conditions.
3: Right. And so just so, concussed athletes and concussed people in general. Just a, that's a...
2: yeah. So there is an element of, you know, if you're standing and maybe you're standing on foam, for example, that's going to yeah. take up more attention than just standing on flat ground versus yeah, yeah. like standing on one foot. Um, and so we add in a secondary sort of vision challenging task. So um, for us, we're using a dynamic visual acuity software. And so basically that's the ability to resolve the critical details of a target that's in motion or there's presence of motion. So you could be moving as well. Um, so if you imagine trying to read like a, a street sign while you're walking down the street, that's dynamic visual acuity. <laughs> oh. um, so anything where there's a presence of motion and you're trying to read something and you're in a car or something and you're going by and you're trying to read signs. Um, so that that's basically what dynamic visual acuity is in its in simplest uh, definition. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and so a lot of it is traditionally you've maybe seen this evaluation or had it done is we're like, a clinician or perhaps maybe there's a metronome and you just do head rotations and you try to read an eye chart. Um, Whereas like that's also stimulating a lot at the neck and also stimulating the vestibular ocular reflex just for gaze stability. But what happens when you're stationary and the target's moving around and you have to recognize the target. So that's kind of what we look at. It's like a video game eye exam. So it's not just an eye chart. It's like a software program. Um, and that was developed by Dr. Christine Dalton at the University of Waterloo. And so we've been using that program that she's previously tested where she's compared um, like athletes, non athletes and video gamers to, you know, assess them with the sort of video game eye exam. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what they found in seated was that athletes were more superior at certain levels of speed. So at the faster speeds then video gamers and sort of our control like untrained athletes and so this idea that perhaps athletes kind of have a superior level of like sort of that attentional capacity or processing um, to be able to attend to a task like that and perceive a moving target we took that and we were like okay what happens when an athlete has a concussion yeah and now we are factoring in like the this injury that affects these perceptual visual processing pathways and also attention cognition a bunch of different things uh, how does that then affect that ability Um, is there a difference between athletes and athletes like with and without concussion is there a difference kind of just between the athletes and controls But we were like what are more applicable scenarios and so that's like standing and walking and other things so what happens when you are in motion um when you have to consider your own balance control versus just doing it seated um where you'd think maybe seated would be applicable to like a classroom or like an office um but an athlete is typically upright in motion they have higher levels of like heart rate and exertion um, that could potentially impair some of those things and so that's where we've kind of taken a direction with our research to uh, just like, sort of look at all those domains together and and sort of um, collapse the silos together to look at integrated assessments. So that it's not just like vision is set, tested over here, balance is tested here, and then we do a cognitive test separately. It's like, if we can do kind of all of that with one assessment. Um, and so that's kind of what we've been working on for the past couple of years.
3: Peaceful, well, that's uh, pretty intense. Uh, and, uh, you're, <laughs> and you're saying like that you started And I know from your your Instagram and stuff that you have started started a new clinic. So how does this apply? How did what you just, I don't want you to to go for that again because that would be the one, but if, you know, those separate divisions still are balanced things out, but how would they, how do they apply to say, or both as they start to introduce your new, your clinic and, and then how would those tasks to your clinic? Yeah. So
2: I've, always wanted to bridge the gap between my research and my practice. And I was limited to that by just not being my own boss. (laughs) Um, Essentially, like I've worked for amazing clinicians and employers, but it came down to kind of creating something that didn't exist. And so, um, well, what I've done with thrive Neurosport is create a space. That's kind of this blend of like having sort of an assessment treatment room that is private, that I can control the variables like light and sound and, all those extra sensory things, but then I've got, you know, the bigger gym space accessible to me as well with the square footage to be able to move and run and cut and pivot and do things with an athlete to get them to return to sport competition level. Um, And so the, the idea was to have sort of the resources on hand to, like I said, one start from the very beginning when we need to control all those variables and then sort of work towards adding in elements as we go and integrating those clinical domains and throwing in maybe a little bit of chaos in there too, to mimic what real life and real like sport competition scenarios are. And what I've always found is I've either had like not enough space to do that, or perhaps maybe it was like too quiet or too sensory controlled and you weren't able to really open up a bit. Yeah. Um, or it was too open and things were just a little too much. You didn't have any control maybe over those other sensory variables. Maybe it was just too busy. Um, maybe it was just not, again, like the space wasn't available, the equipment wasn't available. Um, So the other part of that is also having the objective equipment, like a force platform and um, video oculography and other things that I can then get actual concrete assessments out of and provide reports and feedback and provide some kind of guidance that is objective. So giving them a quantifiable measure of things. Um, That's been a really big change uh, for a lot of patients are just validating some things that like maybe they just never been able to prove is a deficit or
3: yeah.
2: um, it gives a me something for them to take and give to an employer or a lawyer or whoever to be able to add to their case for why they need like time off or for a litigation yeah. case for motor vehicle accident, for example. Um, the other side of that too, is we can objectively track recovery and then look at the results over time with laboratory grade equipment that can give us some answers and help us determine when things have improved. Um, But I also don't wanna do this entirely on my own and I don't think I can cover kind of all the scopes of practice that need to be involved. So um, things like vision therapy and optometry is like another component that I'd really love to have in the practice. And we're working on integrating that with um, a local clinic as well, having um, using our office as well and seeing our patients uh and bringing in other staff and team members is kind of where i'm at now is it was kind of just me for a while doing a things, building it all and now it's like okay i need to go further but i just don't have the capacity on my own yeah. so um yeah and i've also had really like i mentioned um nexus health and training is the the gym that i've kind of i work cooperatively with as a partner in kitchen. locally uh, in Elmira, Elmira. It's just north north of Kitchener Waterloo. Um, but they've been really great to collaboratively work together with the athletes that they train um, and develop for skills for their hockey and ringette and other sports. Yeah. Um, that has been really great. and it's it's all been part of like the collaborative environment and the team that um, we've been able to, um, you know, come up with like athlete screening protocols. So instead of like a baseline assessment, we're now just incorporating that into like a pre sort of like the off season pre injury screening, like assessment. It's, it's not so much just a, um, even for just what typical concussion testing is, it's like we can pick up any kind of nuances um, with coordination and balance control and things that potentially could lead to an issue down the line, but um, or we can address things that are existing and help improve that for the upcoming season and various things so lots of things we we're working on developing and growing and um, especially that objective side we're really trying to acquire and prioritize equipment that we're investing in to to provide like the best service
3: you must have a lot of energy because you gotta know you have like a million different hats you have there your phd hat your business owner hat your your therapist <laughs> hat have your, a
2: whole collection of hats
3: and, uh, like. <laughs> and your NJ because your athletic trainer hat and you're Yeah,
2: you know, it's still there.
3: And still there, still very much part of this this uh this so do you do you deal only with uh yeah, deal? So do you treat only concussion, concussion patients at your clinic or do you treat anybody and say so oh, yeah, I think you're and your deficits are here, here and here, or do you just only only accept say concussion patients or clients or
2: um I accept, like, I do treat, like, orthopedic injuries as well, and usually they do have some kind of a neurological component to them when it comes to, like, coordination and control, like, especially, um, like, lower extremities, sort of, like, hip, knee, like, it's like an ACL repair, but you look at the patient's history, and often or not, they have had a concussion in the past, and when you start diving into even, like, vestibular assessments or eye movements and various things, you start to realize that they struggle with that a little bit, and perhaps they never even really had that dealt with. Um, so I always consider even that history to be a factor. Um, but I sometimes get even someone with, you know, they've had a recent car accident and you know, they maybe they had an ACL repair a year before. Um, so that's still somewhat of a concern, or they have HIPAA, but they um, you know, had an incident or a fall and they got a concussion. Um, What sorry, uh osteoarthritis, like say if they have an arthritic hip. But it's like a concern and it may it may affect some of the things we do for concussion recovery. But I also address the entire body Um, because I do believe there's like that connect between the brain and the body and you kind of have to you can't tease them apart. So um, I often use like a lot of movement and a lot of exercise prescription. So it does come down to kind of regular strength conditioning principles at the end of the day. But considering sort of sensory variables like vision, vestibular, proprioception,
3: Well, so I mean, I don't know what else to say really, because you have a <laughs> someone you've done, you're doing so many different things now and not different things. So this is all pretty much about concussion vision and of course hand alert hip away. HIP osteoarthritis. I got that. Is there <laughs> oh, an it is
2: just the acronym for osteoarthritis, yeah. uh, sorry.
3: Um and uh yeah, so so you're I guess we can just on that. Head towards the end of this podcast with uh, the Paralympics, which I, 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 I'm not directly involved in necessarily, but you're involved with the sl- hockey. You're an leg trainer. They focuses on the yeah. track a lot. So, so what's we, and you were you were off to Quebec next week?
2: Yeah, I have to go to Montreal uh, this week. Actually, I think I might have said next week, but I'm realizing like
3: I'm just having, <laughs> I still haven't
2: totally yeah. have a grasp on the. We only can leave now. Yeah, I got to leave in the morning. No, it's Friday morning to Sunday, but we're playing like I work for um, the provincial like Sledge Team Ontario program as, um sort of I call it a sports therapist because I'm an athletic, athletic therapist and a physiotherapist. So um, I, uh, I'm on the bench with that team. And I've done that since, uh, oh, gosh, I've probably worked with para ice hockey since 2013. Um, and so been I've been the lead with uh, Ontario for a couple of years now, uh, maybe four years. And so I have athletes that are going to Beijing for the Paralympics, and then, um, which and is that, very and exciting.
3: When does it
2: The first week of March is when the Paralympics begin. I think it's the And, first. and
3: the entire so, like, is Is the first, like, pretty well after that?
2: They should be competing through the week, so I'm assuming they'll be starting right away. Um, I don't know the schedule for ice hockey yet. I haven't looked that far ahead. Okay. Um, But uh, I haven't like you know there's athletes that are have been hockey players and and now they've transitioned to be dual sport athletes. Um, One of them being Christina Picton is a Nordic skier now, so it's like cross country skiing in a sit ski, and and she just qualified for the Paralympics, so that's been really cool um, to see her journey and transition. Um, and a couple others that are, that'll be, will be playing um, hockey as well, which is great. It's, I'm really excited to watch them compete. But this is a really nice segue, Nick, because um, a lot of my interest actually lies in concussion in para sport mm-hmm. and the lack of guidelines that are inclusive yeah. to para athletes or the lack of assessment tools yeah. um, and sort of the applicability of a lot of the assessments that are like recommended I know the consensus is supposed to be happening later this year. I will be going, hopefully, to Amsterdam oh, yeah. um, to present cool. uh, for the next consensus on concussion in sport, because um, we haven't had an update since 2016, yeah. so it's a little outdated with what those recommendations are based on how much research has been done. But there has been a call um, in sort of this new consensus of ParaSport. sport. Uh, being developed, which one of my committee um, members, Christine Dalton, is also on that consensus as one of the the primary investigators. So Um, or co-investigators I guess so that's been really cool to see that develop and a lot of Canadian influences on that consensus yeah Um, but I'm hoping that kind of once I I wrap up sort of the research I'm working on now that the future will look at sort of looking at para-athletes and and various assessments that we can employ um, for them that can improve sort of decisions for return to sport Um, so I'm really interested to see how these Paralympics go um, with one the injury surveillance because Um, only in the last couple of Paralympics have they actually really been, um, really focusing on, um, recording like the amount of injuries, especially concussions and identifying sports that are higher risk. And so they're starting to put a lot more spotlight on that, which is really, really nice to see. Um, it is a complicated, obviously there's more factors involved with the, um, you know, various abilities of different athletes. And I think that's one of the things that we need to investigate more is, if an athlete is a wheelchair user versus if they say have a prosthetic limb, like how do you then assess things like balance control and um, coordination or, or various other things for like return to sport, depending on what their sport is. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's some really cool opportunities for moving forward and, and creating, um, you know, more accessible, um, I guess, clinical assessments and pathways um, to just be more thorough and also like more objective with those populations
3: too right and and understand like the injury surveillance i mean that's obviously a thing now every day's the longest so obviously it hopefully really the movement stricter even higher higher surveillance but of course they're mostly focused on covid now which is yeah you know pretty hard sort to of let like just part of it but uh, yeah but uh, you are just you saying that they get the uh the you know, question consensus is gonna be in Amsterdam this year. And uh and hopefully. Would, yeah, hopefully <laughs> exactly. I I've been I would I would love to I was just talking to actually to uh, Melanie. I'm gonna miss her last name, Vanhoven. Vanhoven uh last week about she's, she's in she's Dutch, she's there's an Amsterdam. I would okay. Love to get over to Europe. So hope and there's chance or not chance now we got that stuff to do would love to over there and just you know so or just at least talk to people from the conference and uh, yeah so it'd be great to have, uh, have you or be there also on from the conference on the podcast but uh yeah and uh, geez, you've said some so many good points about concussion and injury surveillance and parasport and uh, and then that the need for concussions concussions concussion sorry my, my sorry. I'll you know, drink to, just drink a bunch of water so <laughs> it's you know, okay got a bunch of liquid on off but uh yeah i understand about the uh concussion surveillance in, in parisport and the uh, need for that to be obviously it's very you said it's very good the brain is complicated because are complicated anyway but with also with them uh, with parisport with different abilities it's hard to just measure just the physical just the uh, things you can see because that there's also what they can see you can't see it they can see gotta get more in depth. You can see it that their eyes are buried then you can't see that and then they can only they can see it and then so unless you yeah. can see it, it's your, it's your vision things too so
2: Yeah, based on uh, the low vision athletes, especially skiers. um, Dr. Dalton has also she's done a ton of research with low vision skiers and classifying skiers. So like based on their vision assessments, they're classified versus um, typically a para athlete would be a physical assessment to be classified based on like, like strength testing and range of motion and other things um, and sensation stuff like that. So um, it's interesting that like just the typical protocol that we all follow right now is was developed for the upright athlete um, and the athlete with no disabilities, and so that's where we run into gaps. Wherein I, you know, I pull out an assessment, but it doesn't apply to an athlete I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't help me assess them. Is is one of the concerns, and also some of them have been through traumas that have already maybe had a brain injury. Yeah. Um. So some of the symptoms on a questionnaire may be something they experience. Um. Maybe they like are taking a medication that causes them to have migraines or fatigue or, um, dizziness on a regular basis. Um. So that's one of the things, like considering you know how they even acquired a disability. Uh. Or perhaps, like I said, just if it comes to more of a physical assessment, is it appropriate for, um, you know, a wheelchair user, um, an amputee or, um, you know, another type of athlete maybe that has other sensory processing deficits that it doesn't uh, capture accurately, like their abilities and, and wouldn't necessarily pass a test, for example. Um, so how do we dictate whether they have, you know, recovered or how they're prepared for return to sport? So um like I said, the, the that one paper and, and Dr. James Kissick is one of the um, authors on one of the main papers that sort of called out <laughs> um, these uh, gaps in the literature and the consensus saying, you know, this doesn't apply. Uh, we definitely need to do, and part of it is surveillance to figure out kind of like where are concussions happening and how many are happening? And what is the frequency and prevalence? and looking at what are the prevention strategies what are our management strategies um, what are the best ways to to help these athletes so just from my experience like you know working in hockey is one of the higher risk sports these athletes they there's full contact i don't think a lot of people realize yeah. that paradise yeah. hockey is 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 very, very <laughs> um it's it, like even this weekend is going to be interesting in quebec because we were huge rivals ontario and quebec so um, there's a lot of contact. Um, they're also in like steel sleds. So they've also yeah. got that making contact with your body. Yeah. Um, there's also just the flexibility of the boards are made for, again, upright hockey. So usually the lower boards are the more rigid part, whereas the top is meant mm. to flex for an yeah. upright player to hit the glass um so usually you don't get that like you know absorption in the boards you just hit a wall um and so that is another one of the reasons it's like high velocity high contact same with like alpine skiing and um there's uh i think wheelchair rugby and, and basketball a couple other sports are higher on that list um just again from like the the either contact or the speeds um, cause like downhill skiing, like they just hit such high speeds, um, that if they crash, then that, that just kind of deceleration can be really severe. So there's definitely a need for that yeah. to be investigated.
3: Wow. Oh, your, your, brain like never stops. So, I mean, you're like, you I hope you don't drink a lot of coffee because
2: I probably have like adult ADHD me. that's just undiagnosed. So <laughs> you're, 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 <laughs> many of not, my colleagues have so probably much agree.
3: stuff, like it's amazing. But um yeah, so so I guess uh so you can expect to hopefully finish your PhD this, I don't know, say this year, but soon.
2: I'm hoping. Rather? I'm I'm hopeful that by the end of this year I will have defended. Um obviously, like I'm I'm actually at a, a part-time status now, just so yeah. I can manage my business and and continue growing that and have time to kind of yeah. spread spread myself around a little bit. So um, you know, I do a lot of things, but it is very I prioritize and sort of have my time scheduled in a way that it's not like full-time at everything. (laughs) So when you, when, you know, often you see people doing a hundred things, there's a lot of part-time things. Um, but I'm, I'm doing my best to get all that stuff done this year. And hopefully kind of by the end of the summer, I'm I'm really hopeful that I'll be close to defending and, and obviously still attending conferences and things this year as travel allows. So like I said, Amsterdam's kind of the big one being in October. Um, If that conference does go ahead, it's I've been accepted for it, so that's just a matter of planning and hoping nothing nothing impedes that. But who
3: knows now? Yeah,
2: so I'm I'm excited for this year that you know it's been I've kind of felt like 2020, 21 has sort of been this grind, just like sort of at your house or in your office, and you have it like. There hasn't been a lot of interaction in the world and so i'm i'm really excited to kind of get out and actually like see people versus seeing them virtually and yeah um meeting with colleagues and other other stakeholders in in this industry and stuff so um i think it's going to be really fun i'm looking forward to it so
3: so you're you're saying the summer they are gonna my eye the picture behind you right behind the uh, back behind you so where where is is that a, is that a picture or a painting I can't even tell. Uh,
2: it's kind of just artwork, I think. But it's like somewhere in Alberta, probably, okay. with the Rockies.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I can see you. I guess I can see It's Paige not me. The, it can be you. No, no. well, okay, it's somewhere up. But it's it's sort up, of like a, a mountain a dark range. Figure, you can I can see it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's, it's I can we're, see it. We're big yeah.
2: paddlers in this household. So we do oh, yeah. some camping trips and nice. portaging and stuff like that. So, nice. yeah, That's awesome. a few... Most of my artwork is nature artwork. <laughs> okay.
3: Why not? Um, yeah. And so, finally, so what I mean, you're on, you dad did a bit on podcast on the Thrive North podcast on yeah. here. So if you want to hear Katie talk about her work back in 2020, this is the last yeah. time we spoke in the podcast, but uh, yeah, it's a, just, she has the same, the same amount of energy has not, she has not dropped a bit. If not, she's gained some energy. I don't know how, but anyway, but uh, so where- can people momentum, find
2: momentum, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get some momentum, it just doesn't stop.
3: <laughs> so where, where can people find you say, okay, where can find you find your personal, find your physical location for your clinic?
2: Um, so Thrive Neurosport is located in Elmira, Ontario. It's just almost like a suburb of Waterloo now, basically, but it's kind of central between- um, Kitchener Waterloo and Guelph, um, so we're about twenty minutes from kind of everywhere. Oh. Uh, but I see patients as far as like London and Burlington and Hamilton, that kind of area. So kind of a, a good hour, hour and a half radius. But I do offer telehealth as well. So I've had patients as far as Thunder Bay um, yeah. in my caseload as well.
3: Oh, yeah, because you do it like oh, you know, hip, oh, hip, I guess. So it's all in Ontario.
2: Uh, yeah. Like, so they can submit under their benefits for telehealth that's been introduced in 2020. So I've had uh, lots of virtual patients um, nice, from nice. all over Ontario. So they just have to be Ontario residents. Yeah. That's it's, one
3: caveat. <laughs> so for people who are not in Ontario or if they, if they are, but if they're just anywhere in the world, where can they find you online or your, your papers, say about your, for the, your pa- papers or your, and Instagram and your Facebook group all the stuff where they find you <laughs> that's online. They can-
2: Everywhere. Um, yeah. So my website for thrive neurosport is just ThriveNeurosport.ca. neurosport.ca um, on Instagram. I'm at thrive neurosport. Uh, and uh, I think I'm on Twitter as Katie Mitch underscore ATPT, which I share a lot more kind of research and yeah. papers on there just from the format of Twitter. Um, but, uh, you can even look me up on uh, just Katie Mitchell and the Google scholar, if you want to find some of my publications, uh, but, uh, hopefully I'll have some more. I haven't been able to publish in a little while, just from the, again, the breaks and sort of the ups and downs of everything and trying to just finish projects as we've had probably about four in the wings. So once those are done, I'll be probably publishing a bunch of things. Um, but yeah, hopefully that we don't face any more of those restrictions and we, we can continue moving forward. But yeah, lots of places to find me. Um, and I'm sure maybe you can even tag in my email here if you want.
3: Yeah. Well, comments. no, I might share my description, <laughs> which will be on my new Hangout website, which uh, we'll put out, will be out next week. So we're recording this. We're recording this actually on Valentine's Day, which remind <laughs> me about your uh, post today about love and the brain and stuff. So I, I did. I, that, I did. That's on your, on your tram, Instagram page. So you yes, do. Yes, that's thousands. the
2: Thrive Neurosport
3: Instagram. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Well, so everyone check that out, and uh, and it's just been great catch up, with Katie. And uh, Katie, when I end this now, well, first of all, we'll, well, I'll say if we were, I'll end this, but I'll you know want to say bye right after we end the podcast. So for everyone else listening, this is it for you guys. I'm hanging up soon, or <laughs> not, you know, turn off soon. But uh, thank you, Katie. It's been great. it's been great, and. Uh, yeah, so this hopefully will be out on next week, and then yeah, hopefully see talk to you again, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks. thanks so much. Thanks. The music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound. www.bensound.com.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.